stories are the bedrock of culture and civilization. And, and I love stories, and I love a great storyteller who connects things for me. And, and Jesus, he teaches life-changing truths in his stories. In these stories called parables, but quite frankly, these parables at first glance, they, they leave one confused. A parable is defined as a fictitious narrative by which either the duties of men or the things of God are portrayed and Jesus, you know, he teaches in parables, and he does this throughout this next chapter, chapter 13 of Matthew, and it's best to see all of this chapter as interconnected. However, time does not allow that on, a, on one Sunday, so throughout the rest of these Sundays this month, uh, we'll be looking at these parables. So this morning, we're going to begin with one that uh, is probably familiar with, with the majority of you. Uh, if you would go ahead and turn to to Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 13 verse 1 that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea and and large crowds gathered to him so he got into a boat and he sat down and the whole crowd was standing on the beach and he spoke many things to them in parables saying behold the sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell beside the road and the birds came and ate them up and others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out, and others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears... Let him hear. That's confusing. <laughs> That's very confusing. Why is Jesus speaking this way? Well, the disciples ask him the very same question there in verse 10. Why do you speak to them in parables? Well, Jesus answers them and he, and he, and he says, To you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Huh. Again, confusing. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. We move down to verse 18, and Jesus begins to explain this parable to his disciples. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. So Jesus gives this explanation for this first example, and he addresses the real issue at hand, the heart. The heart. Hmm. This parable. This parable is addressing the heart. Well, the sower has sown. 
he's sown some seeds. And the seeds, the word of the kingdom, the seeds have been scattered and have fallen on the road or the heart. And in verse 4, the birds come and they scarf the seeds up. And verse 19 says that this is the evil one coming and snatching up teaching that does not promote an understanding. And Jesus says that a lack of understanding, the word, opens up this gate for snatching. So what kind of heart is this? Well, this is an example. This soil is an example of of a heart that is hard, that's resistant, that's stubborn. Why is it hard? Why is it a hard heart? Well, we don't know why. The text doesn't tell us. Maybe it's a heart that's been disappointed. Maybe it's a heart that refuses to listen to anything but itself. Maybe it's a, a heart that thinks it knows best, best about everything. <laughs> Jesus uses the word understanding in verse 19. Understanding. Well, why do you suppose that when I'm preaching, I'm teaching? Part of my calling is for the listener to understand. And that's, that's why I preach the way I preach. Because this Word, God's Word, is for your health and for your good. It's for my health and my good. But you know... <laughs> Sometimes I can be too stubborn to listen and to learn. We all can have that stubborn, hard heart, can't we? There's a quote that's attributed to uh, the old-time preacher Charles Spurgeon that says this, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. Let me say that again. The, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. Jesus addresses the next scenario. He, in verse 20, he says, The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. In verse 5, which we read, the seeds fall on the rocky places where there's, there's not much soil and immediately the seedlings, they shoot up, they spring up because there's no depth of soil. And what happens? Well, verse 6 told us that, that when the sun rises, the seedlings, they're scorched. And because they have no root, they, they wither away. And, and Jesus explains this in verse 21. He says, that this man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, he has no firm root in himself. And it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So what kind of heart, what kind of heart is this? What kind of soil is this? Well, it, it's, it, it's shallow, superficial it's a shallow, superficial heart. Have you, have you ever been on a roller coaster? Yes! Who's a fan of roller coasters? 
Oh my, I'm impressed. Yeah. My parents did not like, did, were scared of roller coasters, did not want me on them, so of course any opportunity that I had, that's what I did. Uh, love them, love them. But, you know, they go up and then they come down. The highs are highs and the lows are lows. And some believers, we have this approach to, to life. Um, one moment we can have this tremendous, legitimate, spiritual, emotional experience. And, and the next moment when a trial comes, or maybe things just don't go our way, the, the text refers to this as getting scorched. Um, we bottom out. And, and this happens, I think, because we, we tend to blur the lines between Scripture and, and life and the happily ever after. We all like the idea of happily ever after. You know, you've got the, the prince and the princess and the story, they live happily ever after and all is good and they ride off into the sunset together. It's... And, there, and there's some folks that think that a decision to follow Jesus means that there will be no more problems. Um, and life as a disciple, as we've heard Jesus tell the disciples back in chapter 10, it's a hard road. A hard road. And it's not always a trip to the guitar store or, or the candy store. Um, we talked about this on Wednesday night. You know, we can have these tremendous experiences Think about the baptism of Jesus. You've got the Son of God rising out of the water and the Spirit. This is Matthew chapter 3. And, and, and the Spirit of God descends in the form like a dove. And then you've got God the Father speaking. And this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And this is tremendous, tremendous experience and the manifestation of the Trinity. And you've got John the Baptist there. And then the next chapter... The Spirit sends Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan and John the Baptist goes to prison. How, how deep does our faith really go? Um, there's a great resource available which presents this reality of the gospel and it was written by a man named Bill Bright. Um, some of you know that name. He's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and it's entitled The Four Spiritual Laws. And, and I learned of it a couple of decades ago. It's a, it's, there's a section of the gospel tract uh, in, that the Campus Crusade uses that teaches against this emotion-driven faith. And Bright, he, he, he wrote the following. He said, Do not depend on feelings. Uh, the promise of God's Word, the Bible, not our feelings, is our authority. The Christian lives by faith, which is trust, and the trustworthiness of God Himself and His Word. And, and, and there's an image which illustrates the relationship among fact, God and His Word, faith, our trust in God and His Word, and feeling the result of our faith and obedience. Can we see that picture, please? This example of the train. Fact, God and His Word, that should drive our faith 
and feelings should come behind because feeling is a legitimate part of who we are. Our feelings are valid parts of who we are. But the train will run without the caboose, <laughs> with or without the caboose, but, but it would be useless to attempt to pull the train, our faith, by the caboose, which is feeling. And, and in, in the same way, we as Christians do not depend on feelings or emotions, but we place our faith, our trust, in the trustworthiness of God and the promises of his word. That's a, that's a powerful image, is it not? Thank you. Jesus explains the third scenario, and he says in verse 7, that, well, we read that, that these other seeds, in verse 7, they fell among the thorns, and the thorns, they, they came up, they choked them out. And in verse 22, Jesus says, the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. This is an example of the divided and distracted heart. Um, the man hears the gospel, but, but worries of the world, uh, the deceitfulness of, of wealth, overwhelm the man. And this happens when we try to understand the things of God not by his word, but, but through our lives and our experiences and our culture. You know, we, we, we want to understand God not by his word, but by man-made things and man-made experiences. And rather than using the things of God, using scripture as our lenses as our lens to look at everything else. Um, we, we're going through this gospel of Matthew, and, and, and when we go through a book, one could say that we are reading Scripture vertically. You know, we're, we're going up and down the page, aren't we? Um, going up and down, so to speak. And, and when we look at comparisons of the life of Jesus in the Gospels, we're taking a, a horizontal view. We're, we're, we're comparing Matthew to the other Gospels side by side. And, and we see a similar account of the sower and the seed in the Gospels of both Mark and Luke. And, and Mark chapter 4 adds something a little different. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. And these are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches... And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And I don't know why we have a difference between Mark and Matthew. Um, since the 19th century, Bible scholars have argued that much of Mark's gospel is the source, is a, is a source material for, for Matthew and Luke. But having these three factors, the, the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, those three, you know, that resonates with the sinner in me. Um, worries of the world, deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. Because you know, it, it's, sometimes it's, it's not worries or riches, it's, sometimes it's for other things. <laughs> 
whatever they might be. The whatevers of life. But we're looking at Matthew this morning. We're not looking at Mark. And, and so however they're grouped in twos or threes, regardless, the point is um, there's this struggle that we all can relate to. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in, in Matthew 6. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body or for what you'll put on. Is life not more than food? <laughs> uh, and the body more than clothing? And, and he says this. He says, The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. And, and this is what Jesus says there in 6.33. He says, But seek first his kingdom. and." His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Amen. Well, the fourth picture, the fourth picture, is first seen in verse 8. And, and it's other seeds, they fall on the, on the, on the good soil. And, and it yields a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And, and Jesus explains this in verse 23. He, he says, The one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold or, or some sixty and some thirty. There is hearing of the word. There's understanding of the word. And there's fruit born from the understanding and the following of the word. Um, and this is a model of the receptive and and fruitful heart. Faithfulness yields a harvest crop. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a gardener, but I know that many of you are. And this this year, uh, we've been uh, privileged to uh, be the recipients of some of that uh, that fruitful bounty. Uh, those tomatoes, my my, squash, green peppers. I mean, wow. Uh, but you, I mean, I'm assuming that those of you that, that garden, you don't just put the seed in the ground and walk away, do you? You don't, you have to tend to it. You have to be faithful and be intentional with it. And, and in the same way, this is what Jesus is modeling for us. He, unlike the prior three examples, this is the heart that's not resistant. It's not hard. It's not distracted. It's not superficial. This is a heart that's open to the Spirit's teaching and, and discipline, being intentional, working that soil, tending to it. And, and what word do we get from the word discipline? Disciple. We will see at the very end of our time with Matthew. This is a pointing to the very end of it. We're not there yet. <laughs> Jesus tells the disciples and tells us to go and make disciples. And that involves a degree of understanding, some degree of understanding, some degree of talking, but it requires a degree of faithfulness. Um, becoming like Jesus and and pointing others 
to Jesus. This, this dedication, this faithfulness, this, this will point to a yield. Some hundred, some sixty, some thirty. Wow. So why doesn't Jesus just spell this out for us? I, again, I'm confused. Verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus and they say, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answers them and says, To you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been granted. Forever, for whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, there in verse 14, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which, which says this, and, and Jesus points back to Isaiah chapter 6, and he says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. That, not even that, that word doesn't even sound pretty, does it? Dull. <laughs> uh, without ears, they scarcely hear, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, they, they, or hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. So, so why does Jesus quote Isaiah? Well, our, our hearts are dull. They're, they're, they're dull. Isaiah actually uses the word calloused. When, I, when I'm playing guitar and, and if I have not played for a season, I've got to build my calluses back up to, to toughen them up. And, 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 but our hearts are dull, they're callous because of, because of sin. Because of sin. And, and so what happens, if we truly want to know the things of God, if we truly want to know the things of God, God's Spirit will reveal through His Word and through his worship, and through his people. Um, but we have to allow God's Spirit to deal with our sin. When, when Jesus first announces the Spirit is going to come in John chapter 16, the Spirit is going to come to his people. And the Spirit is coming to convict sin. He's not coming to first give a warm embrace or a pat on the back. He's coming to convict sin. That's what, that's what John 16 says. And, and John 16 also says this, that the Spirit always glorifies the Son. Always glorifies the Son. That's what He does. And the Spirit will not do something that does not line up with Scripture and, and does not line up to the Savior. It, the, the Spirit will not do anything contrary to that. We can count on the Spirit to reveal God's truths. And in and, and verse 12, we, we read that has this idea that to the one that has, more will be given, and the one who doesn't have, he will lose. Again, confusing. What does that mean? Well, there's, a, there's an old writer, an old biblical scholar named Matthew Henry, and, and I think he says it best. He says this, that Christ taught in parables, and thereby the things of God were made more plain and easy to those willing to be taught. It's an attitude. You, you come ready to learn, and, and Christ, His Spirit will reveal that. And this is what else, what else Henry says. He says, at the same time, these things of God 
are made more difficult and obscure to those who were willingly ignorant. We have lots of teachers in our congregation. Have you all ever had students that acted willfully ignorant? (laughs) I mean, really, I don't really have to say any more about that. Um, But I told you a moment ago, if you truly want to know the things of God, God's Spirit will reveal them. Through His Word? (laughs) Yeah, amen. Through His worship and through His people. But His Spirit will not give confirmation to things not in line with His Word. And Jesus says this in 16. He says, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus is telling these disciples that they're blessed because they can see Him and they can hear Him the great and final revelation of God, the Son of Man, the living Word. and the kingdom, the kingdom has arrived. The Messiah has come, and, but until the Messiah returns, and we wait on that, the kingdom, it's not consummated. And in this meantime, we, we deal with this reality that we all have these seasons of the heart. Even as believers, we we can have hard, resistant hearts, can't we? We (laughs) We have hearts that at times can revert to being pretty shallow and pretty, pretty petty. And some of us have come this morning with Divided and distracted hearts. You know, we're distracted to death. But this is good news. And in Psalm 103, we read that the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He Himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. We're dust. That's all we are. And if we truly want to know the things of God, God's Spirit will reveal them to us through His Word and through His worship and through His people. But we have to allow God's Spirit to deal with our sin. And we confess our sins. We can confess them and we can trust in the forgiveness of sin that only Jesus the King can offer. Until that time that the king returns to consummate his kingdom. And we as the bride of Christ, we're ready. We have the benefit of belief because we live on this side of the cross. You know, we have seen and we have heard. We're to hear the word. We're to make the effort to understand it both by spending time and intent with it and to trust the Spirit to teach us to teach us through it. Isn't that good? Yeah. And we're to point others to it. And that, that's bearing fruit. Bearing fruit in our lives and seeing 
seeing fruit born in others. We bear it, and we see it born in others. That, that's becoming like Jesus, and that's pointing others to Jesus. Pray with me, please. Lord, we... These stories that your son has t- shared with us, they are confusing because we can't, we can't just listen to it like it's white noise. You've told us in, in the book of James that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And Father, you have done that. You have sent your Son to dwell with man. And on his first homegoing, you sent a Spirit to comfort us and to reveal things of your nature and your character and your Son's nature and character to us. Lord, we are thankful that as we wait, as we chew on your Word, that through our confusion, Father, your Spirit gives clarity. Gives clarity to point out the things in our lives that don't please you. And Father, you've given us a church, you've given us a time, uh, you've given us an altar to where we can come and we can, we can lay our burdens down, we can lay our questions down, we can lay our sins down. And to turn back to the things of you because you know that we are dust. And that we needed a Savior that would dwell with us. We're thankful for Jesus this morning. Father, we're thankful for your church and your people. We're thankful for the pictures of sacrifice and to the one who has sacrificed everything to draw us near to you. Our altar is open. I pray you would uh, speak to our hearts, Father as we sing. It's in your son's strong name we pray. Amen.